How y'all doing tonight? Wasn't that good? It's just, oh, it's so good. Well, listen, we are in a series called Trending. This is week two. My name's Matt. If it's your first time here and you don't know, like, who's that bearded dude? It's just me. Hey, my name's Matt. I'm glad you're here. Uh, in this series, we're talking about the trending topics that you see in your world, the things that would be, you know, if you click the little search thing on Twitter, what are the stories you're going to see? And then how do we respond to those trending things in our world? How should we respond to the topics that are happening? When the world would maybe tell you one way to respond, we would respond in a different way. So let's start off with a question. Here's my question to you, and I want some response, right? This is not a, a spectator sport, all right? We're going to be interactive tonight. What are you most afraid of? I mean, what, wait. Did someone say science? Okay. So yell it out. What's something, what are you most afraid of? What'd you say? All right, we got spiders. Who else? Heights. What? Snakes? I thought you said sticks. I was like, well, then you're screwed. Uh, yeah? Flying? Just flies. The little black insects that can't hurt you or do anything. You just... All right, man, that's cool. All right, let's go back to the first one. How many of you are afraid of spiders? Yes. We are friends. I am too. They are from Satan. Like the moment the fall happened, spiders were created. I just know that occurred. Uh, I, I hate them so much. And there's one time where I had to face this fear of them. When I was in Costa Rica, I lived there for a few months. Uh, I came upon a tarantula, no joke, as big as my hand. And it was on the house where I was supposed to sleep in this open air bunk in the open air, 20 feet from where I saw a tarantula. Um, not going not gonna to sleep there tonight. I uh, didn't want to wake up with a tarantula eating my face off. That's basically what I was afraid of happening. So I may or may not have kicked a girl out of her bed that had a bug net to sleep with another girl in a twin bed so I can sleep in that. Super manly, no shame, don't care. Now, the way that we respond to spiders is out of fear. It's, be, it's a dumb fear, but I have, a, I have it too. And how many of you have seen the movie Inside Out? Anyone go see that over the summer? Pretty good movie. Great reviews. Awesome. Pixar, Disney Pixar movie. Well, Inside Out is the story of a girl and all of her emotions. And as she goes through life, how the emotions respond. And one of the emotions in the movie is fear. And there's this little clip that shows how she responds to a spider that speaks so good into what I do. Take a look. Ever wonder why you feel the way you do? Well, get to know your emotions. When the unexpected is staring you in the face, fear is there to keep you safe. With speed and wisdom, fear assesses the situation and settles your nerves in his own special way. He's got this. Thank you, fear. Get to know all your emotions with Disney Pixar's Inside Out. Is that anybody in the room? Can we just be like, this is church. You can confess. It's totally cool. My hand's raised. No shame. I hate it. I flip out when I see one. So much to the point that this morning, not even playing, I went, uh, my son came and woke me up and he was like, daddy, daddy, there's a spider in my bed. And I'm thinking like, let's burn the house down to make sure the spider's dead, right? And I, he said, yeah, come look, come look. And my son's three. His name's Bowen. And so we go in his room and he said, look. And I'm thinking it's going to be like this gigantic wolf spider mother of like Shelob from Lord of the Rings kind of a thing, right? And it literally is like a fifth of the size of my fingernail, right? So I'm freaking out for nothing. And then I'm like, well, buddy, it's dead. He said, yeah, I smashed it. I'm like, 
well, good job, dude. He said, yeah, I took my hand and I killed it. And he kept doing this. I was like, I hope you did it that many times to make sure it's dead. Now, I flip out on the inside whenever I see spiders, but I also sometimes flip out on the outside. Now, here's another story of someone who doesn't like spiders and may not have shown the outward fear that I typically show, but I would imagine he definitely had the inner fear, and I hope that this creeps some of you out. So watch Jimmy Fallon. Get out of here, man. I love my animals. <laughs> I love my animals more than people sometimes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> No, you do. This is going to be so great because this one here came all the way from Mexico. Don't move. I don't Stay like there. spiders. Don't Please, I don't like spiders. Now, this. I don't like And just Dude, don't, don't move. Don't I'm move. Yeah, I don't like spiders. They're found. Now, we don't want them to fight, Dude. so we're going to put one there, too. Now, oh, Dude. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, oh God, again! Look in there. Now, just fine. Just don't move. Don't move. Don't move. Now, hey, no, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Now, these are called Mexican white knee and red knee tarantulas. They have, their fangs are about an inch long, but they can't kill you. They'll inject a little bit of venom. It'll feel like you're at a Dave Matthews concert. You're like, whoa, dude. You're totally fine. Breathe. Dude, I'm breathe. Freaking out. You're honestly, so cool. I'm now, freaking out. I hate spiders. This is like scary. It's not, they're not spiders. They're tarantulas. tarantulas. Now this ah! one, they are like, look, she's got webbing. Look at the webbing. Do you see the webbing? Get off me look, right now. Get, the, get them both off me right now, please. Uh, oh my gosh. Someone, seriously. No, you're fine. You're I'm fine. not kidding, you're man. You're fine. You're fine. Let's go to commercial or something. Hang on. I'm getting there. Let's I'm getting go to commercial. You're okay. No, you're good. Get, uh, hang on. Well, Hang on. Oh, she pooped. Just mix it. You're right. No, they, they. You're fine. You're fine. You're totally fine. Oh my lord. You're all right. <laughs> Some of y'all just freaked out like it got put on you. How many of you totally just lost it like that? That like you probably peed your pants a little bit, right? It's okay. Again, safe place. It's all right. Now these are fears that we have, but here's what we also know about fears. Sometimes they're about spiders, but all of our fears aren't always as trivial as things like spiders. Sometimes they're a lot more serious. And here's what I've come to learn in my life. That whatever your greatest fear is actually says a lot about you. We're going to talk more about that next week. But what I really want to speak into tonight is this idea of fear and how we live out of this. Because it is a trending topic in your world. Uh, whether you know it or not, because I don't know if you'll ever watch the news but if you watch the news, the only thing you're going to see are these fear-based stories. Everything's wrapped around this idea of fear, this anxiety that comes in our world, and how we're supposed to respond to it. So we're going to talk about fear tonight and how we actually should respond. A book was written by two professors at Arizona State and says this about fear, the study of fear. A qualitative, con uh, a qualitative content analysis of a decade of news coverage in the Arizona Republic and several other major American news media like the Los Angeles Times and ABC News reveals that the word fear appears more often than it did several years ago, particularly in headlines where its use has more than doubled. So this is a tactic that you're going to see in your world. You're going to hear stories and you're going to think, Jesus better come back because I don't want to deal with that. And while that may be kind of a good thought, Really where it's going to come from is this idea of fear. Because psychologically something happens when we go into fear, when we hear something that scares us, when we get this anxiety. And psychology today actually talks about how it is that we react. It says fear-based news stories 
Prey on the anxieties we all have and then hold us hostage. I'm going to read that again because it's a really good sentence. Fear-based news stories prey on the anxieties we all have and then hold us hostage. The success of fear-based news relies on presenting dramatic anecdotes in place of scientific evidence, promoting isolated events as trends, depicting categories of people as dangerous, and replacing optimism with fatalistic thinking. How many of you, when something bad happens, you immediately go to thinking of the worst? Okay, me too. And recently, I was faced with this whole idea of fear and how it, how it worked in me. And I read something that also speaks into the reality of fear. This guy, Edmund Burke, says, No passion so effectually robs the mind of all its powers of acting and reasoning than fear. Because whenever you are overwhelmed with fear, whether it's that you're at the top of a roller coaster, losing your mind, probably peeing your pants for real then, or you're reading a story about something that's coming, or there's a tornado approaching, like whatever it is, your ability to reason becomes paralyzed because that's what fear does. So I was faced with this, uh, uh, one of my worst fears recently, um, came face to face with the reality of this anxiety, this fear, this thing I had to deal with. Um, so a few weeks ago, back at the end of the summer, we had our big slip and slide. How many of y'all were here for that? Awesome. I was not. Uh, I wish I was. I missed it. But while y'all were doing that, um, my wife and I, we were in the hospital with our daughter. I have a 17-month-old daughter named Charlotte. She's incredible, the sweetest human being on the face of the planet, um, far sweeter than I am. And uh, about a week before we went to the hospital, Charlotte started to get sick. We were at the beach. And we got home, and then some stuff started to get a little bit worse. We started to notice, like, this isn't really right. So we went to the doctor um, one morning, and then they said, you need to go to the hospital. Like, now, go get clothes, go home, get clothes, and go to the hospital. So the hospital trip turned into four days, and my 17-month-old girl, um, she can't communicate what's happening. She doesn't fully understand this reality of she's sick and she needs help. And so they're drawing blood from her multiple times a day. They're poking and prodding her. Her arms are bruised from all the stuff they're trying to do to try to get her healthy and get her right. Every time a doctor comes in, she flips out and loses it and just starts saying bye to try to get him to walk out. Like, really cute, you know what I mean? And she stayed uplifted the whole time. I'd hold her, and they'd draw blood, and she'd be screaming. And I'd say, almost done. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I'd say, all right, tell him thank you. Thank you. Like, never lost her heart or her spirit through it. And that really helped me because in those four days, I was freaking out. So when we get to the hospital, we find out that Charlotte developed something called HUS. It's hemolytic uremic syndrome for all you science majors that are smarter than me. And HUS is an extremely, um, it's a rare disease. And her form of HUS started to attack her kidneys. So basically, Charlotte's kidney wasn't working as it should have. Um, it can be very dangerous, and they just had to monitor her really well. Uh, the thing about HUS, though, is that there are two forms of HUS, is what we learn in the hospital from the nephrologist. One form is the more common form, and it's an acute thing that happens one time, and it's done. Uh, the other side is an autoimmune disease that's a genetic thing, much more rare and a lot worse, like significantly worse than the acute thing. So Charlotte starts to recover in the hospital. She gets better on her own. There's no antibiotics, nothing else given. She just, she, she powers through. And four days later, they actually release us, and they say, like, 
you should be in the clear. Like everything would point to her having the acute one. And so automatically all the anxiety, all the fear, right? My daughter's sick. We're in the hospital. All of that just, I can breathe. Thank you, Father, for allowing my child to be healthy, right? Like you, you can understand the deep breath that I would have had at that moment. About two weeks ago, we went back for a follow-up. And in the follow-up, the doctor kind of came back with a different um, analysis. And he said, I'm about 50-50 on whether or not she has the acute kind or the genetic kind. Uh, so we then, in our anxiety, that all of a sudden rushed back in, went to go look up more about this genetic disease and if she has this. And while it's extremely rare, basically what it means is that my daughter will die soon. It will kill her. This is what we've been reading. This is what we found. This is what we saw. And so it went from this emotional roller coaster of, oh my gosh, my daughter's in the hospital, to now, she's okay. And then a month later, even though she's perfectly healthy, uh, the doctor says 50-50 she's going to have this. Now when I hear 50-50, that means there's just as good a chance as her having this extremely rare disease as it is her having this acute disease. Um, that's very much a glass half full, half empty type thing. And for all that I tried for as much as I wanted, I, uh, I couldn't shake the anxiety of the glass is half empty. I just couldn't. This, this weighed on me like nothing else. And so if you know anything of the stories I've been telling, if you've been here a while, it's been a whirlwind of the last six months. But through this, typically what happens for me is my faith will overtake these emotions. I allow my heart to control my emotions rather than my emotions to control my heart. But for whatever reason, I just can't shake it. And it's been killing me. It's been paralyzing me. It's been taking my breath away. I can't sleep at night worrying about my daughter. Is she going to die? Am I going to lose my girl? And see, I go, like, like, the, like the study said, I go to the worst place. And so I start to envision her getting worse. And I start to envision her, her final breath. And then I start to envision having to bury my daughter. And the fear is overwhelming. So a few nights ago, Charlotte, um, she was crying in the middle of the night. It was like 4 a.m. And so I got up to go get her, and I, and I picked her up, and I held her. And after a few minutes, and I'm going to take any opportunity I can and just like hold her as tight as possible, right? Um, so I get her, and we go back, and I just finally am like, all right, I'm just going to take her back to our bed. So I lay her down between me and my wife, and then I couldn't sleep. And I felt this overwhelming invitation, is what I'll call it, to pray. I knew God was wanting me to stay awake to come and just pray, to seek him, to find him. And so I did, and I, I went into their playroom, <laughs> my kid's playroom, and I just got on my face and started to pray. And God reminded me of something my wife told me a few days before that, that completely galvanized my faith. I'm overwhelmed thinking that my daughter's going to die. No matter how accurate that diagnosis actually is, I can't shake this fear. I can't shake this anxiety, and it's overwhelming me. And I wrote it down to have it exactly right. God reminded me of something Larson, my wife, said. We were in the car, and she said, Matt, what if Charlotte dying is God making sure that she's with him because she would have grown up and never followed him when she got older? Now, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's the case. 
There's no way to know that. But in that moment, my faith was revitalized because that tells me God's in control. I can trust him. And thank God for my wife who has the strength of her faith enough to lead me in that moment. Spiritual leader or not, I can lean into her. And I started to realize, I can, God, I can, I can give this to you. I can give this anxiety to you. I can give this fear to you. I can give this, this lack of sleep to you. I can give everything that's, that's shutting me down and paralyzing me, that's taking my ability to reason away. I can give all those things. I can give my daughter to you because I know I can trust you because you know what's going on. This doesn't take you by surprise. And God, I can trust you in this because, because this is the reality. You love my daughter more than me or my wife ever will. So I can trust you. And instead of being locked into the darkness and the paralyzing nature of my fear, I was awakened to the light of my faith. Now, does that mean I'm not scared still? No. Terrified. Now, we've come to find out over the last day or two that the prognosis is actually a lot better than what we were initially fearing. Because again, fear takes away your ability to reason. And so out of that prognosis, it still hasn't left. But I don't have to choose to be bound by my fear. I can choose to be led by my faith. And that is a vast difference of how you approach life. And that's what I want you to hear about tonight. My faith in Jesus allows me to completely lean into him even when everything hurts like hell. And even when it's scary, and even when I have visions of burying my daughter, my faith in Jesus will get me through because I can trust him, because I know he loves me. And I don't have to be bound by that fear. I don't have to be locked into the darkness that comes with that fear. And man, when that faith came, it eradicated that paralyzing nature. In the last two days, I've been able to breathe like I don't know how I got through last week because all I was thinking of was my daughter. We've been in meetings all week and all I can think about is when's the doctor going to call so we can find out. I know what it's like to walk through life with anxiety. I know what it's like to walk through life fearing that the worst is going to happen. In the span of six months, I almost lost my wife and my daughter. I get it. But what I'm telling you tonight is that there is hope and there's faith and there's a source of love and joy and peace that is not dependent upon anyone else and it's Jesus, and the exact same faith that I have, you can have it too. It is a free invitation for you to grab. So if you walked in here tonight with anxiety or fear, not just being scared of spiders, but legitimate real fear that's paralyzed you, you can be free of it. And that's what we've been praying for. That you would come to know the truth and the love of, of Jesus for you, no matter what you've come in here with. And see, we know this to be true. We know that you don't have to live in the darkness anymore and that there's faith available to you because of what, of what we see written in the Bible. In many places, it talks about fear. But one of them that speaks most true to me comes from 1 John chapter 4, verse 14. Let me read it to you. And we have seen and testify that the Father, God, has sent His Son, Jesus, to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. 
So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is also, we are in the world. Verse 18. There is no fear in love. There is no what? Fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So maybe you came in here tonight with a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. Maybe you came in here tonight not knowing the love of Jesus. Maybe you came in here tonight extremely skeptical. If you hear nothing else, you need to hear that Jesus loves you. And that your life, whatever's going on in your world, he's not surprised by it. And if whatever's breaking your heart, it breaks his even more. My heart's broken for the thought of losing my daughter. His heart's broken even more. And the truth is, his heart breaks even further than me potentially losing my daughter or Charlotte dying. His heart breaks even further the fact that some of you don't know him. And so we see as he continues to talk about this idea of you just come to him. You just bring your fears to him. All your anxieties, all your mess ups, no matter what you came in here dealing with, no matter what happened outside those doors earlier today, no matter what's happened in your story, no matter how dark or how bad it has been, no matter how much sin is sitting in your world, no matter how dark it is, Jesus says, just come to me because I'm light. I'm the light of the world and you're going to find life in me because Jesus desires, like we talked about last week, Jesus desires to give you life and life to the full. A life not bound by fear and anxiety. A life bound by faith and by light. Full life. And so we see that he continues to talk through the story we learned last week. Last week we talked from John chapter 8 about the woman caught in adultery. And we talked about it last week from the perspective of the Pharisees. Like, who are these ridiculous dudes that are going and catching people in adultery? Like, freak, right? Don't do that. And yet they find this woman in adultery and they bring her to Jesus. So in John chapter 8, if you want to turn there, there's Bibles all around the floor or under your chairs. We're going to read from this story a little bit. John chapter 8. I'm going to read from mine. You read from yours. We're going to start in verse 2. And we're going to start to see in this how Jesus wants to respond to you. There's an invitation to you. And Jesus wants to respond to you in a specific way, regardless of what you've come in here with regardless of your anxieties or your fears. Let's look at how Jesus wants to respond to you through the story of the woman in John chapter 8. Early in the morning, he, Jesus, came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees then brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst of everybody, placing her in the center of the room, in shame, they said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, 
commanded us, now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women, to kill her. So what do you say? Verse 6. This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. So Jesus bent down and he wrote his finger on the ground, started writing. And we don't know what he's writing, but he starts writing stuff. And then he looks up in verse 7. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and went back to writing in the gravel, in the dirt, in the sand. And I don't know if he's writing the sins that he knows of everybody that's accusing this woman. Maybe he's sitting there writing out everything they've done. Maybe he's writing their names. Maybe he's writing the law. But he's doing something, and they're fully intact. They're fully listening. He goes to write again in verse 9, But when they heard him say that, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. They went away, one by one, beginning with the older ones. They dropped their stone and left. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Where are the guys that just dragged you out of your adulterous affair? Where'd they go? Has no one been left to condemn you? Who's condemning you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Then neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So Jesus is talking to a woman that was just caught in an affair. And according to the law, she should be killed. Now, I'm going to take a wild guess that no one went and had an affair or was caught in an adulterous act of an affair right before he came in here. Just a wild guess. Probably accurate. But the truth is, all of us come into this place having sinned before or having sin in our life. And in the law of that, for that woman in the time, she should have been killed for her actions. And the Bible tells us that whether you do that or any other, any other thing that would be against God and disobedient to him, whether you sin in any capacity, the wages of sin, the thing that comes from sin, the punishment for your sin is death. You should die. And yet Jesus in this interaction with this woman, she should be killed and she's standing before him with all her baggage, all her sin, all her dirt, all her mess, all her fear. I would imagine she was probably pretty terrified in that moment, seeing a mob around her holding stones, about to throw them at her and kill her. And yet she stands before Jesus, and Jesus isn't holding a stone. And he says, who's condemning you? I'm not. It's the exact same thing that he does with you. When you walk in this place tonight, it doesn't matter what you've brought in with you. The fear that you would have of death can be completely eradicated through your faith that Jesus gives, through Jesus of life. So how can I sit here and respond and talk to you while I'm afraid that my daughter's going to die and say, God knows what he's doing because I trust him, because I've seen him do the work in my life, because I'm a filthy, wicked human being, and yet he loves me anyways, and he loves you. And there's an invitation to you about how he would respond to you, because here's the deal. Some of you have heard me say this dozens of times. I don't care. I'll say it till I go in the ground. You don't have to get clean before you come to God. You come to God and he makes you clean. That's called grace. 
beautiful, scandalous, ridiculous, overwhelming grace. And here's how you get the grace. John chapter 3, we see Jesus, we see, uh, Jesus explain how we find grace, how we receive it, how we accept it, and how we, how we get the life that he offers. He's the light of the world. And in him, that light, when it's there, no darkness can overtake it. John 1.5 says, The light has shined into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So how do you find that light? How do you find that faith? How do you find that hope and that joy and that love that no matter what happens in life, no matter how dark it gets, you can say, God, I trust you, and my faith will ride over who I am, not my fear. I won't be identified or bound to or shackled to or imprisoned by this fear. I'm going to live out in light and faith and following you. Here's how you do it. John chapter 3, verse 16. You probably heard this in vacation Bible school if you grew up anywhere around here. But let's talk about it with reality. Or maybe you heard it from Stone Cold Steve Austin when you were growing up. I don't know. But regardless of where you've heard it, this is truth. This is the most important thing you could hear the entire night. And this is love to you. So let's start reading verse 16 of John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Right? We talked about fear. We have fear because we're afraid of the punishment. We're afraid of the death. We're afraid of being found out. We're afraid of being exposed to the light. And so what we do when we sin is we go hide in the darkness. We retreat. We don't want people to see who we really are. We don't want people to know that we're really wicked. We don't want to be exposed. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. It's Jesus. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And so tonight, in the name of Jesus, I'm praying that you would accept this that you would believe this and that you would step into this, that you would come to the light. In the name of Jesus, I'm asking that you would have the same faith that I do to go through life understanding that I don't have to be bound by this fear. What am I going to do with my life? That can be a really scary question to have asked you. And yet, even if you get asked that question, it's something that you can respond with out of faith of saying, I don't know right now and that's okay because I know God's got me. Or when you get to my age, and then you're married, and then you have kids, and then something happens there. You can respond out of faith. So that even if I do have to bury my daughter, God's goodness doesn't change. And my faith doesn't waver. And he's still kind. Because I can trust him. So my prayer is that you would accept that in the exact same way. Because I would imagine that a lot of you came in here with some sin in your world, and there's some of you that came in here never trusting Jesus. 
You've never heard this before. You've never heard what's called the gospel, the good news, the reality that you deserve death. And Jesus says, but I want to give you life. Let me give you life and life to the full. Let me show you how to live the best possible life. Maybe you've never heard before that you don't have to be bound to your anxiety. You don't have to be identified by that fear. You can overwhelmingly and fully come to Jesus and say, I need help. So come and save me. So my prayer tonight is that you would do that. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the invitation that Jesus gives. Because there's nothing you can do to undo the death that you deserve. Jesus has already done all the work. You just got to trust him. And it doesn't matter what you come in here holding. It doesn't matter the baggage. It doesn't matter the fear. It doesn't matter the anxiety. It doesn't matter the sin. You let it go and you let God take it. And he'll make you clean and you start to trust in him. So what I want to do is I want to offer up an opportunity for you to respond. So everybody in the room, I'm going to ask that you bow your heads. Out of respect for everyone around you, even if you don't want to, I'm going to ask that you bow your heads, close your eyes, and just in a reverent moment that you would allow, allow us to step into this. And what I want to do is if you came in here tonight never knowing Jesus and you want him to save you, from the fear, from the death, from the anxiety, from the darkness, if you want him to save you, then I'm going to offer up a prayer. I'm going to say the prayer, and then you can repeat each line after me. Now listen, this prayer doesn't save you. No words you say can. Jesus saves you. But this is you speaking directly to God, begging for his forgiveness and for him to do just that. So if you want that, if you say, you know, I want Jesus, then repeat these words after me in your heart to God, just like this. Father in heaven, I've been living in darkness. I'm lost in my sin, and I need you. Save me, God. I can't do this on my own, and I don't deserve your love. I believe that you are the only hope I have, and that through Jesus I can have life. So I ask you to forgive me of my sins and bring your light into my life. I choose to place my hope in Jesus. Please give me faith as I give you my life and commit to follow you all my days. Thank you for loving me, God. Send your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And now for those of you that already have Jesus, what do we do when even one person comes into the kingdom? We go crazy. Yes. Because listen, you just made the most important decision of your life, period. Your love, your joy, and your peace, the thing that sustains you, your portion, your identity, is never found in anything else in this world. And the longer you keep thinking that it is, and you keep searching, you keep trying, you keep reaching, you're just going to find more darkness, more death, more sadness, more depression, more fear, more anxiety. Because the world would tell you that this fear is what you have to respond to. And it's not true. You can respond to faith. Faith that Jesus knows what he's doing. That God is in control and that he loves you overwhelmingly. You can trust in that. And so what we want to do now is create an opportunity to respond. Because some of you just said that. Some of you just said, Jesus saved me. And guess what? He did. Because the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you are saved. Done. And your salvation is fixed. Nothing can ever take this from you. Ever. You can't run far enough away from it to get outside of God's hands. 
Your salvation is fixed, and now you are alive eternally as a new creation. So we want to give you a chance to respond. And if you did that, the Bible just told us, come to the light. We want you to come to the light. And we want to offer up a moment for you to remember. And also a moment for you to be bold and courageous. Because Jesus also says that whenever he gives you his light, now you have a candle that shines into the darkness. But why would you ever hold a thing over a candle to extinguish that flame? Why would you not let it shine? So you got to be bold. You got to be courageous. You got to step forward and actually hold true to what you just did. And we're going to ask, we're going to invite you to come down here and light one of these candles. Literally like a moment of saying, I'm walking into the light, Jesus, because of the work that you've done. So as they lead us through some songs, if you did that, please be courageous enough to get up in front of your friends and light a candle as a moment for you to remember. But I also know this to be true. Some of you in this room, whether you said that prayer or you've already accepted Jesus long before, still have a lot of anxiety. I know what it's like to walk around with that. But I also know how powerful it is to be prayed over for that. So we want to offer you an opportunity to be prayed for, to be prayed over. So people from our prayer team, our leadership team, are going to be in the back. There are two little places where there's some candles that are lit. And while they're singing and worshiping, if you walked into this place with fear and anxiety and worry, they're back there to pray for you, that you would experience freedom, overwhelming freedom. So as they play, really the ask is that you'd respond to the Holy Spirit. If you accepted Christ tonight, come light a candle. If you need prayer, go to the back. If you want to fall on your face and worship, do that. But we're just going to enter into a time. I don't even know how long it's going to last. We're just going to worship God for who he is and for what he's done. Because even in the midst of living inside of darkness, he shined his light. And Jesus did all the work so that we can find life. So I'm going to pray for us. And then you respond. Jesus, thank you so much for doing this. I First, thank you for letting me get through the story. Because it's real. And it's raw. And it hurts. And yes, Father, it still scares me. And yet even though it scares me, Father, I don't have to be bound to that fear because I can trust you. I don't have to be bound to the fear of of the punishment that is death because I know you love me and I know that you offer me life. So, Father, I pray that there would be a sweeping presence of your Holy Spirit in these next few moments. And God, I pray that we would be crazy enough to respond we just be obedient. May there be obedience in this room like never before. Father, would you anoint these moments like you never have before? Would we experience a blessing in this place in the name of Jesus that's never happened before? And may we encounter you in a way that's so fresh, so new. God, that you would change stories. you change trajectories. And that you would bring life into this place that maybe has never been experienced. So Father, my ask is that you would Shine your love down upon us. Because God, if you do that, we'll reflect it right back at you. So may we worship you with all that we have. And as we do that, God, would you continue to do the work that I believe you're going to do tonight? Would you grow us up in wisdom and stature and in favor with both you and with men, just as you did Jesus, so that we can fall more in love with you? Father, I thank you. And I pray the people in this place would have the courage to respond now. 
out of elation because you give them life to light a candle, to be prayed for, and to say how much we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.